like to welcome our guests here today from United Methodist Church in Rocky River. They're going through a um, similar to what our Bar Bat Mitzvah program is, and Pastor Stephen, their their youth pastor, invited me for the multiple times. This is the second time or so. Um, to come and, and speak to the to the group about Yeshua and his life and his culture and where the Bible kind of comes from. Uh, but we want to welcome them here. They're experiencing something very, very different than what they probably are used to. Um, you probably haven't seen dancing in your church, right? We do, you know, Jewish people dance a lot and uh, and we eat. So... Those are two very cultural things that we'll do. Um, remember the first uh, the first miracle that was performed by Yeshua that we know of was a wedding, and I promise you there was a lot of dancing, especially with that brand new wine that he made. So um, we want to welcome you here, and we're we're happy to have you here, and uh, we're excited that you get to be a part of this. This is very different, but um, it is we didn't dance for you. This is what they do. Okay, so just FYI, it's a very normal thing. Um, today's parasha is out of Vayikra. Vayikra is Leviticus, and uh, the name, the Hebrew name for Vayikra means, and he called. And he called Moshe. Um, he called him for a purpose. But before I kind of get into what that is, uh, I want to start with some scripture out of 1 John. Um, I, I went ahead and put the scripture on the board today. That's the first time in many years. But I did that for our guests. I usually don't do that, but that's, that's Rabbi, my dad and, and Rabbi Stevens' shtick. That's not mine. I usually just get up here and go. Uh, but I have scriptures that I put on the board if you want to follow, if you brought your Bibles, uh, and you can. Uh, but First John 2, 4 through 6. Uh, verses 15 through 17, and then verse 23. So it starts off, it says, uh, and basically this is going to be the crux of the message, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it off here with this, and then hopefully by the end of the scriptures you guys are going to see how this all pulls together. But it says, the one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So focus, in the beginning of that, focus on the, in the, on the point the one who says, I have come to know him. Okay? It's very important in the scriptures, this, this, this statement. But whoever follows his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So, If you follow his commandments, the love of God is in you. Now, which comes first, following his commandments and then the love, or does the love and then following his commandments? All right, so that's important to, to recognize. We're going we're gonna to talk through that here in a little bit. But which comes first, the love or the following? Do not love the world, verse 15 says, nor the things in the world. This is probably one of my best, my favorite scriptures in the Bible. If anyone loves the world, 
the love of the Father is not in him. For what is the world? You think about this, you say, do not love the world. Did the Lord not make the world for us? Did he not make the things here for us, but then the Lord says not to love it? Or the things in it? For all that is in the world, the scriptures say, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. Now this is about the station of a man's heart. Okay, It's the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I can tell you right now, you can't get on social media without hearing motivators, right? They even call them influencers. They're influencing you. They're motivating you. To do what? To have your best life. To manifest your own life. To meditate on and and manifest what you want in life. Who you want to become. For for Talpiot, for even us as grown It's important to recognize that the world around us wants you to believe that you can become whoever you want to become and get whatever you want to get. You look with your eyes and you see it and you want it. You can go get it. You just have to believe in yourself. Believe in yourself and tell yourself that you can do it. I can be that person. I can go do those things. I can get that what I want. What do you want? I want a big house, I want a this, I want a that. This is the lust of the flesh. Isn't that funny? The things that we achieve for, the things that we go to school to become, the things that we educate ourselves for, they lead us to want stuff, and the wanting of stuff leads us to boastful pride of life. Look what I've done. So I get the stuff, and it leads to pride. The lust of the flesh, it starts with, goes with the lust of the eyes, and it goes to pride. And what what happens when pride comes? There's a fall. Because it always comes before a fall. So here the, the scriptures are telling us, do not love the world nor the things in it. And that the, wor- that the things of the world are not of the Father or from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, the scriptures say, and also are its lusts. All of this is dying. It's all going away. Now, is it bad to have things? Is it bad to have big houses? Is it bad to drive nice cars? Is it, is it bad? No. It cannot be your desire. You know, I always say, you know, if somebody has a million dollars and they drive a $100,000 car, it's no different from somebody that has, you know, $40,000 and drives a, a, a $15,000 car. It's all ratio, right? It, it's, the, it's, it's just the ratio. Now, the person with the million dollars could be gone tomorrow. The person with the 40 can have a million tomorrow. All depending upon how God decides to bless you. Because it's up to him how he blesses you. It's not up to us. It's up to God how he blesses. So here we are. 
This scripture here, it says, the world is passing away and also its lust. But, this is the key of the script, this is the key of the teaching today. The one who does the will of God continues to live forever. What is the will of God? That's the message today. At the end of this teaching, talk, we need to understand what the will of God is. Verse 23. Kind of a kick start for what the will of God is. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. So, you can't have just the Father and not the Son. You can't believe in God and not His Son. You can't follow God and not believe in His Son. Orthodox Jewish people, our brothers in Israel, who follow the God of Israel, who keep the commandments of the Torah, who, who keep the Shabbat and keep the festivals, the Moedim, all of the things that they do every single day. They have the Father, but do they have the Son? The scripture tells us in 1 John, if you don't have the Son, you can't have the Father. It doesn't lead to life. So I just wanted to use that to frame the start of what we're about to get into. We're going to, get, we're going to move to Leviticus here, but I want to frame it and ask the question, what is the will of God? What is the will of of the Father. We have to know that. And that's the start of our, of our journey with the Lord. When you come to the Lord and you come to a place where you have to say, okay, God, I'm here for you. I'm here to, I'm here to follow you and I commit my life to you. Um, you have to understand what the will of God is. So Leviticus 1, 1 through 4. This is the beginning of the parasha this week. The parasha, for those of you who don't know what the parasha is, it's a portion of scripture every single week that has been spelled out by the rabbis years and years and years and years and years ago um, that is followed on a weekly basis. You get through the whole Torah and yada yada. We also add the, the, uh, tana, the, the Brit Chadashah, which is the New Testament, uh, and then we have a portion in the, the prophets or the Nevi'im. Um, and uh, we read from Tehillim today, too. Uh, so the, the guy that you heard first up here, Rob, who so eloquently led us through the parasha, um, he kind of started that. But I'm going to just start with Leviticus 1, 1 through 4. It says, Now the Lord called to Moshe, Moses, and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering or, or korban to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or the flock. In his offering, it is a burnt offering from the herd. He shall offer a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, so that he may be accepted before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, so that it may be accepted from him to make the atonement on his behalf. You go through these scriptures um, and... You know, the parasha this week outlines the many different uh, korbanot or, or offerings that are required to be used to cleanse and purge the priests, the individual of Israel, 
and the whole company of Israel for the purpose of the forgiveness of sins. That's what this passage starts with, Vayikra. We get into it, and, and it's about offerings to God that are animals that are sacrificed for the forgiveness of sin. And it's interesting to, as you go through it, the blood, you know, the way they offer them, they have to lay their hand on the heads of the animals that come to the door. They, you know, take the blood and they sprinkle a little around the altar. And depending upon the different type of sin, the blood will be put in different places, whether it's the horns of the altar or around. And, you know, God goes through a litany of regulations and requirements for the forgiveness of sin. And as we progress through the book of Vayikra, Leviticus, each developing chapter teaches us how to grow in offering ourselves to our higher purpose. So in the beginning, 1-1, one, one, it's very simple. You take an animal, you, you cut its throat, you bleed it out, you put the blood in a specific spot, you burn it in a certain way, um, and if you, don't, if you don't have the money for a, a goat or a cow or whatever, then you can get turtle doves, and if you don't have the money for turtle doves, then you can bring grain, and they put the grain on the altar and they spread it out and they're almost making a little cake and they pour oil in the middle of it and then they put frankincense in there and then the smoke billows up and that smoke is an incense to God's nostrils for a sweet aroma to him. There's rules here that are being established. And man, are they complex. Like if you read the parasha this week, your mind was like, Man, this is a lot, you know, for every different type of person and every different type of sin, whether it be for guilt or for shame or whether it be for, you know, you did something wrong, you did something, you veered off this way or that way or you did this or that, and whether or not you're a priest or whether or not you're just a leader in the, in the, in the, in the uh, uh, kingdom or whatever it may be, your position, your authority has a different sacrifice even. And here, here we are. God was very specific as to an offering that you're required to have. But then progressing through, you start to see a theme. And you have to read between the lines and through interpretation of the actions that God requires of Israel... You have to recognize the underpinned spiritual requirement of becoming a living offering. A living sacrifice for God. You personally have to be the korban. You're the sacrifice to God. Your whole life. And we have to understand what it means to sacrifice ourselves and our own desires, our own lusts, our own flesh, our own will that the world will help us create and craft. To do the will of God. 
the will of the Father. And to be an eternal flame that ignites all those that the Father draws to Yeshua. That's a very important statement. That the Father draws to Yeshua. How do you get to Yeshua? Do you realize that the Father draws you to him? You don't just one day wake up and think, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Jesus today and see what that's all about. You're drawn to him by the Father. We're going to see that in a few minutes by Scripture. The Father gave you to him. You were given to Yeshua by the Father. And that's a, that's a different feeling. It wasn't like I just came to Yeshua on my own. No, 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 no. The Father drew you to him and gave you to him. Think differently that way. It's scriptural, like blatant scripture, and we're going to read it here later. But if you think to yourself, wait a minute, I was a gift to Yeshua? And then you put yourself in your position of your life. And you watch what you do every single day. And you realize that the Father thought you to be a gift to Him. And you say to yourself, am I being the gift, the living sacrifice, the offering that I'm required to be? It's a different feeling. It's a different stake. It's not just, well, I came to you and decided to come to you and I can turn away from you anytime I want. That's what we do with relationships. We have relationships with people. I've decided to make you my friend. And I can decide that you go away. It's my own decision. This is part of the world. Okay, The world will define for you who and what they want you to have and, what, and who they want you to be. The world will define for you. There's a big thing going on in the world right now about TikTok, how TikTok is being, you know, trying to get banned, and the CEO was in front of Congress this, year, this week, and he was getting grilled. And one of the biggest, I heard, I heard a bunch of people that are TikTok users, 150 million uh, users in the United States, and they're all claiming, look, there's all these people that want to speak their voice on this platform, and it's such a beautiful platform, and it's not doing any harm. But one of the biggest messages that the Congress had for the CEO was you are shaping the minds of our children you're developing for them the outlook of the future their imagination is dead and you're leading them into an evil wicked path through the things that are coming through TikTok They're killing themselves. They're suffering anxiety and severe depression. It's a big claim to look at this TikTok CEO and say he's responsible. Single-handedly responsible for creating a systemic problem in our children. This is one of the biggest things. And you have to sit back and think to yourself, 
That's a great argument. That's, that's got, that has teeth to it. Now the users of TikTok and the people that are making millions of dollars on TikTok are really ticked off. That's weird. What is that? Oh, I'm like, geez, oh, Pete, all those aliens they're talking about showed up. But the point is, is that the world defines for you what you want to be or who you want to become. And this new generation, this Gen Z and all that other stuff, they have to, they have to deal with that. But, they, but you have to get back to the truth. You have to get back to the truth that that is not of the Father. The things you're seeing are not of the Father and it's not for you. And if you've come to the Father and you've made the decision to follow him, what has happened? You need to recognize that you were a gift to his son. You're a gift to his son. We have to sacrifice ourselves, our own desires, to do the will of the Father, to be an eternal flame, to ignite those that the Father draws to Yeshua. The earlier chapters of Leviticus, it discusses the general offering of our souls and our bodies. And when we arrive at chapter 19, further on, we begin to realize that our service intensifies with the commandment, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That intensification on us is, you don't understand what that really means to you. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord God, am holy. You have to be holy like God. What does it mean to be holy like God? Well, I can, t I can start by saying that following after the world is probably not the way to do it. Lusting after the flesh and the pride of life and boastfulness and all these things that, that we do is probably not the way to do it. But I have to, today, we need to discuss what it means to be holy, to be an offering to God. Or more simply put, how do we do the will of the Father. What is it? What is the will of the Father? And most often, when we're asked the question, what is the will of the Father? And if I asked you each individually, we sat down, we had coffee, we went to wherever and, and your favorite place and had a soda pop, whatever it is. And I ask you, what is the will of the Father? Most likely, you're going to begin to interrogate your own life. You're going to think about the sins that you commit. And when you start the journey down the road of analyzing your personal life, you're going to be met with a feeling of guilt and shame. You carry that shame and that guilt, and you walk around with it, and you recognize that you're unworthy juxtaposed to God's holiness. Now, the Christian church has solved the problem of that guilt and shame by just saying, it doesn't matter what you do, God forgives you. We've solved, the, we've solved it by saying, it's okay, it's okay that you sin. 
Because God forgives you and he's holy and he's just and he's good and he forgives you your sin regardless. And I believe that's true. But I also believe there has to be a point as a living sacrifice on this earth that you cannot walk in life and sin and feel okay about it. You have to vex your soul. We say to ourselves, if Yeshua presented the statement, if you love me, keep my commandments. And we all know he said that. If he presents this statement, if you love me, keep my commandments, then we can automatically assume that the will of the Father is keeping a law or living our... The will of the Father, defined, is keeping a law or living our lives in accordance with rules that the Father spelled out for us. Because, obviously, if I love him, I keep his commandments. What are his commandments? I have to study and learn them so that I can live them out. And if I live them out, then obviously I'm doing what the will of the Father is. And arguably, I would define that we, we have to bear fruit. We have to bear fruit as living sacrifices. And that fruit comes out in obedience to God's word, and it turn it manifests in the fruits of the Spirit that are described for us in Galatians. So we walk out God's ways in obedience, and that fruit from walking out in obedience will manifest in Galatians. Now, is it true that all we have to do is walk out in obedience? Let's say I decide I'm going to keep the Shabbat. Today I'm keeping the Shabbat, but then I walk out. And all of a sudden, someone cuts me off on the, high, on the road. And I lose it. I'm guilty of that all the time. I lost my mind in the parking lot of Giant Eagle the other day. What? <laughs> I'm totally guilty of it. But I was obedient and went to Shabbat. See, you can be obedient and not walk in the love of God. You can be obedient to what God's word is and actually not do the will of the Father. That's the confusion of our faith. You can also be an absolute, horrid, despicable person and do the, do the will of the Father. And that's hard to understand. We'll get into that in a minute. But the fact is, given that we are entering the time of Pesach, where we have to vet out our sins corporately as a body and recognize the eternal sacrifice that Yeshua made for us to have life everlasting it's important to understand the simplicity of what it means to do the will of the Father perhaps 
The will of the Father is not wrapped up in complex laws and requirements, but rather in a very simple and subtle submission and confession. Perhaps doing the will of the Father is something that you can't see with your eyes, but something that you feel on the inside. It's different. I want you to, I may not get to this. It's not here in my teaching. I'm probably not going to be able to get to it. But Ephesians chapter 2, note it in your mind and read it later today if I don't get to it. Ephesians chapter 2. Now let's move on here for a second to Psalms. What does it say in Psalms? Psalms 51, 14 through 19. We talked about if you start to quest, if you start to vet yourself, you're going to be you start you start to ask the question, "Am I doing the will of the Father?" That you're going to be met with a feeling of uh, guilt and shame on your journey. And so here, the psalmist writes, "Save me from the guilt of bloodshed." Now we all know that David was a man after the heart of God. God loved him. And his life was a nightmare. And he did some things that were absolutely atrocious. But man, God loved him. And here he is saving me from the guilt of who he killed. Remember the chanting. He's killed tens of thousands and Saul has only killed thousands, remember? I mean, would you like to have that as your, as your, on your tombstone? Usually the tombstone is loving mother, loving father, loving husband, right? By the way, that's what you're remembered for. You're not remembered for, you know... Business person of the year. Attorney for the rich and famous. Best veterinarian in the bath area. That's not on your tombstone. It literally doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is how you're remembered by your family, your friends, those you've impacted. Were you loving? Were you caring? Were you important to people? Did you influence them for God? But here David, he's feeling this guilt of bloodshed of all the people that he killed. He says, the God of my salvation, knowing, even though his guilt is there, he knows that God saves him. He says, the God of my salvation, then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips so that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. We just go through Leviticus, Vayikra, the whole parashah today is all about the sacrifice. These are the rules and the regulations that you have to follow. This is the way the goat, you must put your hands upon the head of the goat, and then you cut his throat, and then you sprinkle the blood this way, and you do this and that, and the fat 
you have to take the liver and the innards and you have to put them all together and wrap them up and put them together on the, on the altar and allow them to smoke. And you let them smoke so that the smell and the incense is an aroma because the fat belongs to God. That's why we don't eat fat. That's why we don't eat blood here in the scriptures that we found in this parsha. But he says, David, you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. But what does he says? What does he say? You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. We just went through a parasha that says that's what we're supposed to do. But the sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. This is the sacrifices of God. We're actually on our way to understand what the will of the Father is. Yeah, there's things we have to do. But what comes first? Maybe it's not a set of complex laws and rules and regulations that we have to follow. Maybe it is a very simple process of submission, confession, and contrition. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices. You see, he says, I don't delight in them. But then you have to go through this process. But then once I go through the process and I actually do make a sacrifice, now all of a sudden it's accepted. In burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then bulls will be offered on your altar. So, so interestingly, he, he, takes this, he takes this approach where, you know, look, you, you don't just want the obedience. You want the heart. You don't want the obedience, you want the heart. So if you think you're walking your life out for God, doing what you think he's telling you to do, but yet your heart is black, you do not know God. You do not know the Father. First John, we read it in the beginning. What does it say? The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. You cannot know the Father if your heart is black. Mere obedience to rules and laws and regulation do not suggest that you know God. It suggests that you know a process. Let's take it. Let's take. Let's discuss this Pesach. Okay, we're given. We're given an appointed time. It's Passover. This is the time Yeshua died. This week, I was I was uh, impressed to think about the the sacrifice that Yeshua had made for us. Right. We just sang that song. I wait on you, my God. I know the voice of truth. I understand the sacrifice you made on the cross. I come to this place this week, and I'm thinking about the Lord, and thinking about Yeshua, and what he did for us. And you know what's funny? Because we think about what happened, how he was led before Pontius Pilate. And... 
It was customary that you give uh, an, uh, you, you release a prisoner at the time of the feast. So Pontius Pilate is going to release a prisoner. There's two prisoners, Yeshua and Barabbas. And if you read the text, Pontius Pilate says, I realize that I brought him here in envy, that they brought Yeshua here out of envy. What does it mean that the, that, the, that the rabbis brought him here out of envy? It means that he's outperforming these miracles that are absolutely out of this world, changing lives, and they're not able to do it. And out of envy of what he's doing, out of envy of the love that he's showing, out of envy of the, of the compassion he's, he's portraying, and, and, and giving out of envy of the food he's providing. They bring him to be slaughtered. And Pontius Pilate was not stupid. He was smart. And even more importantly, Pontius Pilate's wife, they say that they're the, they're the neck, right? They turn the head. Pontius Pilate's wife says, do not get involved with this man. I had a, I dreamed all night, it says, she dreamed all night in distress over this man. Do not get involved with this man. So Barabbas, this terrible, wicked, uh, scathing, you know, loser of a man, gets released in place of Yeshua. Do you know that you're Barabbas? You're Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. You realize Yeshua said not a word. Not a word. He walked and took Barabbas' place. He took a sinner's place. The message is clear as day. God was trying to get across to us a message that I'm taking the sinner's place. This, your heart is so wicked. Your actions are wicked. You can do nothing for this salvation. I'm doing it for you, my son, my daughter. I love you, and I know you deserve it, but I'll take it for you. Yes, Barabbas deserves to be up there, and I don't. But I'm your father, and you're my son. We're Barabbas. Unworthy. Unworthy of the love of the Father because of sin. Unworthy of it. Unworthy to be a gift to Yeshua. Imagine. Imagine you're faced with something and someone you love dearly, you know, someone you love says, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this hit. And you're not. You're going to be blessed. And I'm going to take the rejection. I'm going to take the pain. I want you to be blessed. 
you're going to feel weird about that. You're going to be like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I don't want that to happen. I don't want you to get to that point. I'll take the, you know, it's, I deserve it. I screwed this up. I'm someone in, and it's proven, I'm someone who's willing to admit where I'm wrong. I can do that. And I can accept the consequences of my wrong actions. And I'm also someone who would say, that my, those wrong actions were done to me, not by me. But I can accept it. How do we get to a place where we look at Yeshua and say, it's easy for us to just say, thank you for dying for me. Whew, I would have, that would have been terrible for me to go there. Vetting your own sin is important to recognize the beauty of your salvation. We are all Barabbas and have been saved by God. It's important to understand that there, there are many religious and spiritual people that may never have come to the understanding of what the will of the Father is. They may never recognize their own failures and their shortcomings. I'm going to go to the scripture in Matthew 7 that everybody knows, that everybody hears. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father will enter the heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. First John, those of you who say you know me, you're a liar. Here Yeshua is saying, I never knew you. But wait. Wait a minute. It seems to be that people here that, that, that are religious, that, that, that they're doing actions that, that profess to reflect that they're doing the will of the Father. But Yeshua doesn't know them. He's not in relationship with them. And more importantly, the Father's not drawn them to Yeshua. For whatever reason, it seems that they're just going through the motions and not having a real belief in Yeshua and his sacrifice, not being a living sacrifice themselves. But listen to what, what they said. They're, what they said they're doing. They said that we're prophesying in your name. We're performing miracles in your name. We're casting out demons in your name. At any point, did they say that they were ministering the coming kingdom of Yeshua? Did they say that we placed all our trust and faith in you for our livelihoods and we found joy in our obedience to your commands and, and in our suffering? At any point, did they say that, that we believe in your death, your resurrection, and your ascension, and your return? At any point, did they say, I'm teaching the gospel? No. No, they didn't. They said that they performed for the world using his name. They said that I used your name and I told people what will happen to them in their futures. They said I used your name and I told demons to come out of people. And I looked like a great person. They used his name 
in vain. You realize that was the meaning of the commandment. Thou shalt not take my name in vain. Young people, don't go around saying GD or JC. It's not good to do. But recognize this. That's not taking the Lord's name in vain. Taking the Lord's name in vain is doing something in his name taking the credit for it and boasting your own life. Much like Hitler did with the Catholic Church and the killing of six million Jews and six million others. Carrying the banner of the Catholic Church across all of Europe as you conquer it. This is taking the Lord's name in vain. For your own glory, your own growth, your own building up, God will not know you if you do that. That's why he says, I never knew you. This was for you. It wasn't for me. You didn't share my gospel. You didn't share my, 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 what I did. You just were prophesying for me, so you looked good. How many people out there are trying to look good? They don their kippah. They don their talit. They go to services and carry their... That, you know, whether church or the big cross, and they take the incense and they ching, 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 and they do the stuff and they look good. They look like they know what they're doing. But God doesn't know them because it's for themselves. We're trying to get to the will of the Father. Yeshua is very clear about what the will of the Father is, and it's spelled out for us. In black and white. In the book of John, chapter 6. He tells us exactly, exactly what the will of the Father is. He actually doesn't even hold back. We don't have to wonder. We don't even have to ask the question. John 6, 35-40. Shua said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry. The one who believes in me will never be thirsty. He does not say the one who casts out demons, the one who prophesies, or the one who performs miracles will not go hungry or thirsty. It's the one who, what? Believes in me will never be thirsty or hungry. Verse 36, But I said to you that you have indeed seen me, and yet you do not believe. So there's people that see and they don't believe. People that are envious, that led him to a trial, that led him to, be re to replace Barabbas. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me. Listen to that. Stop. Be serious and listen to this. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, okay, listen, everything that the Father gives to me and then he says, and the one that comes to me. He's saying he's giving me people. That's what he's doing. The Father is giving Yeshua people. And he says, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Okay. You just said that there were people that said, Lord, Lord. And you said, depart from me. You cast them out. But you're telling us that if they come to you, 
you will not cast them out. Why won't you cast them now out? Because the Father gave them to you. You will not throw away what your Father gives you. You keep and cherish what your Father gives you. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that, ev that of everything that he has given me, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. Put it in perspective. Of everything, of all the people that he's given me, I will not lose one of them. He's literally saying, I will not lose one of the people, one of the lambs, one of the chosen that the Father gives me. I will not lose one of them. But what? I will raise them on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son, for this is the will of my Father. What is it to do the will of God? What is it to do to the will of the Father? Everyone that sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. The will of the Father is to believe on the Son. It's to believe. It's not to make sacrifices of bulls and goats and turtle doves and grain. It's to first believe with all your heart and you will have eternal life. And he says, beautifully, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. I won't get into the theology of that one. John 6, 44-51, No one can come to me. Remember I told you that I was saying something scripturally? I said that the Father gives you to Yeshua. I said it's scripture, it's going to be black and white. Here it is. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You know you're, you're a gift? He drew you to him? The Father himself? You believe and you, and you submit because the Father himself chose and drew you to him? He literally says, Yeshua, saying, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. That's Yeshua. He's saying, I've seen the Father. You haven't, but I have. That's what he's telling you. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down out of heaven, so that anyone may eat from it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever and ever. And the bread which I, I will give for the life of the world also is my flesh. The, anyone who eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I give is my flesh. What is he saying? Yeshua is saying he's giving us his death. 
He's giving us his death. That's what that says. To believe in him is both the will of God and to eat from the bread of everlasting life. To believe in Yeshua's death, his resurrection, his return is the will of the Father. And with that belief, you cannot be cast out. Because he says that you you won't be cast out. No matter your sinful nature, no matter your failures, your missteps, if the the Father has drawn you to Yeshua, he will preserve you for the last day and he'll bring you near to him with contrition and humility. You will find salvation and you will find truth. This is the point to slip in Ephesians chapter 2. Read that right now. This is the point to do it. I'm not doing it. But... But at this point, you have to understand what your salvation is. And I say, you know, I'm a Jewish, you know, Messianic Jewish man, right? And so I'm standing up here saying, you just have to believe. I'm saying, yes, that's, that's, that's the point. Once you believe, guess what? Like David said in Psalms 51, then you'll accept my obedience. Then you'll accept my righteous actions, my tzaddik, my tzedakah. You come to him first and he gets it after your heart, okay? And then you start to walk your life out in accordance with his commands. Why? Because you love him and you know him and he knows you and he speaks to you. And when he speaks to you, he draws you closer to him and he gets you into his presence and he says, look, the world that you're going after. It's all dying. It's all dying. But I have something that lasts forever. I'm the bread of life. And I want to raise you in the last day. Change your perception. Change your focus. The story in Mark versus Mark 8. The story in Mark chapter 8. The Pharisees, they come out, they begin to argue, they demand from him a sign from heaven. This story is where he was feeding the 4,000. Right? There's two stories. He fed 4,000 and he fed 5,000. Here he's feeding the 4,000, right? And he gives them and he creates a miracle. And after he feeds the 4,000, these parashim, they come to him and they say, We need a sign. And Yeshua, it says, he sighed deeply in his spirit. You imagine, you literally just fed 4,000 people with a few loaves of bread. Okay, and a couple fish. And they come, you need to show us a sign. And he just looks at him. he's, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and he, and he went on his way and on a journey. And the disciples, this is so funny. The disciples forgot to take bread on the journey. And did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving them orders and he was saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. 
Okay, remember it started with the Pharisees saying, I need a sign. It starts here in the scriptures, so the Pharisees need a sign. He sighs deeply. He's like, there's not going to be no sign. And he's, and, he's, and he's telling his disciples, beware of the leaven of the, of the Pharisees. Just as they were sitting in that boat thinking, oh, we got one loaf of bread. What are we doing? We're going on this journey. We got one loaf of bread. We're not going to be able to eat. And he's, and he's telling them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Because they are moronic. They're crazy. They just went through an experience. And... And they, they can't see it. And he tells them to beware of it. They don't have bread. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. The, the scripture says in verse 16. And Yeshua, aware of this, he says this to them. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet comprehend or understand? Do you still have your heart hardened? This is the leaven of the Pharisees. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Literally, we just stepped in the boat. Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said, 12. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? They said to him, seven. As a matter of fact, they, they just, as a matter of fact, just put it plainly, 12 and seven. What, what, why are you asking us this? What do you mean? And then he says, very politely, do you not yet understand the one loaf can be 50? I'm here with you. Just believe in me. Believe in me. What are you doing? You don't need a sign. I am the one that provides you your bread. So why chase the world? So why chase anything in the world? We just need him. Mark 8, 27 to 38. He says something very important. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and the way he questioned his disciples said to them something very important. Who do people say that I am? Why? Why does he question? Who do you say that I am? Because that goes to your belief. He's questioning who you say I am because he's asking you, do you believe in me? And they said, some said John the Baptist and others Eliyahu and the prophets. And he continued to question, but who do you say that I am, Peter? And he says to him, you're the Mashiach. You are the Christ. You're the Mashiach. You're the Messiah. And he warned them to tell no one about it because it wasn't his time. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man is going to suffer and he's going to die and about the Pesach and what that was going to mean and being, on the, being, being the Paschal Lamb being risen on a cross and, 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 and absolutely you know, uh, uh, murdered and Peter took him aside and he says and he started to rebuke him saying that's not going to happen to you because Peter was a tough guy and then Yeshua says to Peter get behind me Satan you're not setting your mind on God's purpose, but on man's. 
You see, when you do the will of the Father, it doesn't look like what the world would want. The world doesn't, you know, Peter did not want Yeshua to die, but Yeshua knew that he had to for the will of the Father. So you do the will of the Father. And he looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Asatan. I don't want to be part of this. I'm going to close up. Verse 34, he says, he summoned the crowd together with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. You have to lose who you are. You have to die and be reborn. You have to be born again in the belief of Yeshua as the Messiah. You have to lose your life to save your life. For what does it benefit a person to gain the whole world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, boastfulness, all the things, but yet forfeit his soul. For what could a person give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him. And when he comes in his glory of his Father and the holy angels. But Yeshua, aware, John 6, 61-65, aware that his disciples were complaining about this, he said to them, Is this offensive to you? What then, if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Yeshua knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have told you that no one can come to me. This is, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. If you've come to Yeshua, you are a gift from the Father. Live your life like one. Live your life in obedience because of your belief and not in obedience because of your desires. To meet your own fleshly needs. But because you truly know and understand who Yeshua is, what he did, and what he's about to do. Amen. It's our duty to praise the master of all, to ascribe greatness to the author of creation. For he made us unlike the nation of the lands, and is not placed as like the families of the earth. He's not made our portion like theirs, and our lot like all their multitudes, and we bend the knee and bow, and acknowledge our thanks before the King of kings, the Holy One, blessed is he. He stretches out heaven, establishes earth's foundation, the seat of his glory is in the heavens above, and the presence of his power is in the most exalted heights. He's our God, there's none other. True is our King. There's nothing beside him as it is written in his Torah. You shall know this day and take to your heart that the Lord, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. There is none other. Amen. Just so you guys know, there's one song and then we're going we're gonna to wrap up and have uh, Oneg.